Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of In Our 1990s, the podcast where your hosts are ranking all of the alternative albums of the 1990s, and sometimes we have to do that twice. Um, yeah, so it's been a while. Uh, it's been a while because I continue buying new gear and it doesn't work. And so we're recording this episode for the second time because saying your opinions for the second time isn't contrived at all and doesn't feel weird, right, Hadrian, my co-host? Yes, everything is fucking fine and fantastic. Everything is a great time to spend doing a podcast. Well, don't buy Cubase. That's my life story. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck any of this stuff is. I just go, mm, indeed, yes, if it's something you need, we, could, we shall purchase it. And then it goes, oh, it didn't record the last uh, half of the episode, and the first part it did record was not great. No, the part it did record was constantly dropping, uh, doing the doing the audio equivalent of dropping frames, basically. Um, and that's all because of buffer settings and other audio nerd shit. Just record on tape. Record everything on tape from now on. The, you know what doesn't have buffer issues? Tape. Anyway. I mean, we could just straight up analog this podcast and then be those pretentious assholes who have uploaded our analog podcast. Uh, it, it's, believe me, that there are days. Lately, I've had a lot of those days where I'm like, yeah, reel-to-reels are a huge pain in the ass and they're really expensive and they break constantly, but when they are working, they actually do their job. Still more manageable than Cubase. Yeah, as long as I'm not having to fix the problems. Anyway... First album this week that we are going to do for the second time is uh, from 1994, and it sucks that this is this is the show that we're having this on because this is a great album. This is a Promenade by the Divine Comedy, and we both love this album a whole lot. And we're not going to sound nearly as enthusiastic because we're recording this conversation for the second time, which, like I said, makes it sound really contrived and like we don't actually care as much as we do. But Hadrian would like to uh, start this with a with a reading, a reading series, um, because this is his pick for this week. It, it, Lo, all those many years ago <laughs> that he picked this. Professionals say that we should not talk about doing things twice. We should only seek perfection. That is not part of the reading at this point. I am just being tired. All right, so we're doing Promenade, and last year, uh, this rec- this podcast being recorded in 2021, in 2020, the Divine Comedy released a huge remaster of all of their albums on vinyl, uh, and I steadfastly got them. And it's... I'm glad I did, because each one comes with an amazing set of liner notes, which is a sort of a retrospective on the album and the time and place. Neil Hannon, the only consistent and pretty much the only member of the Divine Comedy, was in when he was recording and writing the album. Uh, so I'm going to start with, uh, there's, a, there's a huge, like, you know, full LP, like, sleeve of information here. We're not going to read all of that, but I have a few pieces I want to do. I can never make another promenade. That set of circumstances will never re- reoccur. Waiting for Ian Godot Brody to produce Liberation, no job, no university, no social life to speak of, no audience waiting for a particular sort of sat- record. Living rent-free in the middle of nowhere, nothing to do but watch French films, read Penguin classics, and write music. Something like that was bound to happen. I was looking through old lyrics from the period to remind myself of the evolution of the songs when, when I came across the following. 
a kind of manifesto. I am prone to write rambling semi-philosophical tracks on the subject of where next. Usually they are just jumping off point for, to bear, and bear little relation to what follows, but this is a grand typewritten exception. Some songs are obviously well underway and are being merged with the new grand plan. Some are mere twinkles in the author's eye. Some end up going in a different direction altogether. But it's still very much the scaffolding from which the finished record emerges. It is also an unnervingly honest insight into my state of mind at the time. I offer it to you as an historical artifact, edited only for length and awful spelling. Please remember, dear reader, I was not yet 23, and most of, and like most chaps my age, I was a bit of a knob. <laughs> so I'm going to read the opening bit of Promenade, a manifesto. I wish to create a record which people will read into what they want to, which will mean different things to different people while remaining to a certain degree of continuity. There will be no mention of any times of day, and the title shall only hint at a connection or not at all. The tense, but by this I mean the supposed speaker of the words, need not maintain any similarity. Listeners are not stupid. They'll probably work it out no matter how much I try to disguise it. Shall not have any fixed setting. The details within each song will be enough to give them an idea of what I'm, what I'm on about. Not many inland cities have a beach or a big wheel. This this detachment is as much of for my sake as for theirs. It will will help the writing not have put any of the certain things that are just for the sake of continuity. And then the end of this whole thing. He goes into later talking about all the songs and the and these songs that had been in. in uh, creation for this which if you ever pick up this vinyl or find a scan of this it's f fantastic I definitely read it but the last bit is no I can never remake another I can never make another promenade the indignities of adolescence were releasing their grip the responsibilities of adulthood were yet to eat away at my c concentration I won't say I was perfectly happy I'm a much happier chap now but I was on a pure creative high, able to give myself over completely to a wondrous, romantic, futile, intellectual adventure. For that reason, and because it has so many cracking tunes, there will always be a special place in my heart for my lovely little promenade. I love that line. It's, I really think it sums up what this album feels like, because this, this is an album that sounds like someone's creation. This was the birth, truly. Like, we said a lot of, like, future gazing stuff about liberation but this is what liberation was going for and then solidifying it and it becomes this just intense beautiful sometimes samey yet that doesn't matter like brush with 12 songs i love this album <laughs> i love this album too it's it, his description is spot on um, in that it, it really is the kind of album you write when you're young and carefree, which is not something I think that you did a lot of in the 90s. <laughs> everyone no. was, especially in America, everyone was young and, you know, burdened with the weight of the world, whether that was the, like, suburban boredom that like Green Day talked about and, and a lot of grunge talked about or it was the vastly more serious like inner city type uh, 
burdened with the weight of the world that you got from you know Ice Cube or or Easy E or you know maybe maybe not Easy so much. I mean it's a bad example. Public Enemy that was the name I was trying to find. Um, but yeah, like everyone was was unhappy about something and and often understandably so. But this is just like. I think there's room in the world also for music that's just like an intellectual adventure and and that's this album is such a an intellectual adventure yeah and it's it's very literarily minded and that's okay i actually took a a, a think I, I i took a think i thought about this for a while <laughs> had a think i had a think um about this for a while and i was drawing back to david bowie when Bowie died, his list of one hundred his one hundred favorite books made uh, made the rounds. That everyone should try to find them, read them, experience them, and I wholeheartedly agree with that. I think you should because he has some bangers on that list. But it made me realize how many of the musicians that I love are just fucking nerds, and it, it but not like nerds that in the way that. This person's very good with computers. It was very much this person is so entrenched in a concept of art and music that is is uniquely their own, but entirely powered by media they consume and seek. And there's there's this disconnect when we have pop music that pop musicians seem vapid. They seem disconnected because they're generating culture. Which is not the case. If you listen to the Pet Shop Boys for five fucking minutes, you understand that they are very on the pulse of things that are happening. But I, uh, the musicians I love the most, and I'm going to list them now, <laughs> are you know Neil Hannon, the Divine Comedy here, uh, Sparks, David Bowie, Momus, Morrissey. Oh, don't say Marcy. <laughs> I'm gonna say it because it's important to this situation. Not, not current. Let's let's make clear. Not not now, Morrissey. Yeah, but, before Morrissey. But, but like there's this whole this vast catalog of music, and the 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 connection is that they're all oh Jarvis Cocker, they're all fucking book nerds. Jarvis Cocker in the early 2000s had a, in the early land of podcast had a podcast where he was just reading short stories, and it was gorgeous. They're all book nerds. And the, the reason that that's important to this is that there's a song in this album called The Book Lovers, where, and I'm going to start with that one just because I think it is the piece that you most have to come to terms with if you're going to appreciate this album. Yeah, it's definitely, let's say, the most distilled version of what this album is. Mm -hmm. Where he's just listing authors' names and then making sounds or saying hello in a, in a way that, in, that invokes that author's style. It's fucking great. It, it's so brilliant. It, it's so simple, but very impactful. And I didn't like that song the first time I listened to this album. Now I fucking love it. I, I could not I could not stand to let someone listen to Promenade and go like, well, I don't want to listen to the book lovers. I'm like, no. No, you have to sit through the book lovers. You have to sit through the book lovers because Bath is a beautiful intro to this, this just mindscape of an album. It's 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 splishy, splashy, overdressed. Even though it's talking about a woman who's naked in the bath, sensual. Yeah, it, it, but it has this very outgoing and overburdened presence about it, and that's kind of something that drips off of this album, which is why I, I, I throw it in with the the list of like people who are very clearly aware of what decadence is, 
not only that he lists decadent authors in his in the book lovers but every song on this album references a book or a concept or a st- uh, or a construct that he has been taking influence from while waiting for liberation to actually be released and so bath you can take it or leave it i think it's a great intro it's one of those songs that like makes the argument for vinyl because you can crank that shit up and get the intro because if you don't get the intro you're missing out <laughs> yeah the intro is really hard to hear that's something that's always bothered me about that track I, I'm not a big fan of starting your album with like 30 seconds of barely audible mumbling <laughs> and I think it's it's just how it was recorded at the time it probably sounded fine on their masters but they had that shit cranked up higher than a regular radio or CD could actually compress it. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's like every time I listen to this album, I I remember like, oh yeah, you have to like turn the first part up super loud and you still can't understand what he's saying. And it's just like the sound of like water gently lapping and and him talking very low and and unintelligibly. And then the song starts, and it is a really good song. So, so I'm gonna, I have, I have problems with this album that you don't have, and so I want to. They're they're not super serious problems. I think this is a brilliant album, um, but I do. So one of the things I don't like about it is I think it starts off with three, four, four to five songs that are not the ones I would put at the beginning of an album. <laughs> even though I like all of them it's hard to explain but like it's mostly the subject matter is just so out there especially for an album in 1994 like I would not be surprised if you told me this album sold like 150 copies when it came out (laughs) because it came out in 1994 and it's this like proto chamber pop record and the first song is about a girl taking a bath, and the second song is about riding a bicycle downhill, and the third song is just him saying authors' names, and the fourth song is a, like a celebration of fish. <laughs> it's just like, what, what the fuck am I listening to? You're, you're, but, it's a celebration of senses, and to be fair, going downhill fast is not a song about riding a bicycle, is about the observations of butterflies chasing a man riding a bicycle, and their observations on life and existence. That is high concept. Yes, I get it. But I don't think anything on the last half of this album is particularly better fit for the beginning of the album. I, I, um, let's see. I'm scrolling through the songs. I might have started it with When the Lights Go Out All Over Europe just because that's like the most obvious single off this album. It, but at the same time, like as somebody who has been listening to a bunch of fucking high concept music lately, I should be slapped in the face for saying that this high concept album should have started with a single. Um, and, and I'm not like it's it's a like rather than saying I would have and this is the kind of complaint I hate. But rather than saying I would have started this album with a different song from the album, I would have written a different song to start this album. I mean, like that's that's what it is. Unfortunately, I, I think it if it had something right at the beginning to hook you and give you sort of a grounding for what's about to come, and that's why I say the, when the lights go out all over Europe because that's a very graspable song that would sort of ease you into this concept. Whereas 
starting like th these just weren't subjects that you wrote songs about in 1994 which is a good thing but also like i just it doesn't quite it doesn't grab me the way it grabs you like this album was a real this is my favorite divine comedy album and also like it took me a long time to to sort of like listen to more than the book lovers and when the lights go out all over europe and that's and that is doing yourself a massive disservice because the the, the sheer wit of uh, a seafood song geronimo don't look down and like a drinking song like those songs are like standouts for me yeah and a seafood song is my least favorite song on the album i mean sometimes the summer house is my least favorite song on the album but also like i think it's objectively better than a seafood song so sometimes like, the summer house just slaps and it, it's a song that it invokes a very heady summery time because clearly that's what it's about but there are times like in the deep deep winter i don't want to hear that song but like when it starts getting like a little oppressively hot outside but then a really nice breeze cuts through that do you remember like the, that just hits in my brain and i'm like oh i get it and so there's, there's like this there's this this is like weight to that song it just feels very oppressive and humid and humid like yeah that's a good that that's like a better selling of that song than the song itself does in my opinion because when you say humidity of, of a summer yeah that is what that song feels like and and that's something that in real life i hate the shit out of <laughs> but in a literal a literary context then yeah i, I can appreciate that and it really, my problem, I mean, I think the lyrics to that song are really good. I, It's the music for me. It's just so, like, I don't even know what genre to call it. it, it it's just such, it's, like, as edgy as a pillow. It, it, it's just the most, like, mild, like, inoffensive piano pop you've ever heard in your life. Which is, is, again, it's uh, what I actually wrote in my notes was it's the best in the category of boring Neil Hannon piano pop, which is a thing. Sometimes he writes really musically, I think, boring songs. Not very often. Yeah, I think the, the worst culprit is on an album that's immediately after this. Let me, let me look it up real quick. It's, um... I'm not sure which one you're thinking of. God, what is the is this title of something about love? Are you about to, are you about to like cut a promo on songs of love? Yes. Holy shit! Take this woman's internet access. <laughs> get her out of my goddamn that's, house. That's the one. I, I can't. I, I can't with that one. It's so just. That song is so pleasant. It's yes. It's so pleasant, and it's that's all it is. And that's fine. That's all you need from that song. <laughs> no. It's fine. It's fine, that's Natalie. All right, so I think when we get to Casanova, you'll have more of these complaints because I think Casanova has more of the songs that you have that particular uh, umbrage with. <laughs> In and Out of Paris and London, song I don't like. Charge, also don't like that song. I think I like In and Out of Paris and London. It's been a long time since I listened to it, but... 
but I think I like Charge too, so maybe I'm gonna like that album. Yeah, you you might. I don't know. I, I haven't s- listened to either of those songs in a long time. Middle so. Class Heroes, I think, is definitely one that is in the slow piano music. I think I don't like that one. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's not a, it's not a great song. Uh, short album about love. All of this slaps. I don't know why. I would have pulled that. Well, back to Promenade. I think Geronimo is, I mean, I love the book lovers. The book lovers is is like, literally I get chills every time I listen to it. I don't know. Well, I do know why it's the music, Mm -hmm. but like, I I do think that like the just saying hello most of the time is, is not great. Like I, I, there, because there are some where he does more than that. Like when he says Kafka, somebody streams what you want from me behind him. And when he says Brett Easton Ellis, it's just like a blood curdling shriek. <laughs> and those are like really good. But then with the, when the rest are just like, hello, it's like, you know, that doesn't tell me anything about that author. Like you should have tried harder. But that said, I fucking love the book lover so much. <laughs> like play it at my funeral. And and for me, uh, so I, I like a seafood song, but it's very much like this. The, the whole album is kind of playing with textures and uh, sense and imagery, and so that's why that's my big argument against Natalie's uh, wanting to reorder the album because it is just this deluge of sensory experiences, and he breaks it up a little bit with songs like the like the book lovers, but. A seafood song is definitely much this just this like you're plunging into the concept of just luxuriating in seafood. And I love that. It just it hits right sometimes. Uh Geronimo is probably one of my favorite songs on this album. I it is it is a story of two people getting caught in the rain and realizing they should have listened to their mothers about taking extra clothes or protection. And it's just this very intimate snapshot of what people will do when they're they're caught out and they're just living together and thriving and having this like beautiful experience that you can't recreate it's it's the beauty of imperfection and un, unex, unexpected problems and it just feels warm yeah the, the definitely like you know the song kind of ends with them getting to a, a dry a warm dry place and it's like you feel the the like crackling fire being and having you know a fluffy towel wrapped around you i, I in the in the lost recording i it, like i didn't mean it to be a complaint but my i was saying it in the context of this album being very decadent it, it, like yes sincerely it is decadent but also like if anyone else wrote this song the man and woman would fuck at the end but they don't need to that's and that's the, the thing like, yeah, no, they don't, and and I've kind of come around since we recorded that episode to like agreeing with you more on this, and and I I didn't mean to say that's how the song should have ended, but it does taken as when I, I mean when when I think of decadent, I do think of like not just abstract sensual pleasures. I think of of physical pleasure as well. And this, you know, the song about getting caught in the rain, you're soaking wet, you're running, trying to find cover. You finally get into, you know, a house with a fire and, and a towel and then it ends. And, and that's, that's fine. Like clearly he wasn't going for a song where they fucked at the end. And that's, you know, that wasn't his, that, that wasn't his artistic direction with it. 
and I'm being basic by saying that that could have been a thing that happened. It, it was just more in, I think that this album, th this is my actual complaint and I don't mean to levy it just at the song, which again, I think Geronimo is a fucking great song. Um, is that it's a little weird. The whole album to me is a little weirdly chased. Okay. Um, I, I do get that, and I think it's just being flirty, but it's being flirty in a very, like, 19th century kind of way. Uh, there, were, there were 19th century authors who were blowing this out of the water, and it... So, I want to give a little primer, primer on decadence, because it comes from naturalism. And in the book Lovers, he talks about reading Emile Zola, and that's very heavily weighing on all of the songs that have this very visceral feeling about them like bath going downhill fast the seafood song geronimo when the lights go out all over europe it's a very much like the study in what is the broader connection of a feeling and that was directly related into decadence like the decadence went down a very much i'm going to drink ether and then write about my nightmares but that wasn't all of it and this is very much on the lighter side of, of things, which I think is fine. You don't need the very bad stories all the time. No, you, you don't. And there's another song. Let's just go right to Neptune's Daughter, which is one where I wanted the I wanted the bad ending to mm -hmm. that song. And it's it's my second or third favorite song on the album. Um, it's like a, about a woman sneaking out of her house and you, you again, like you said before, you get the very like 19th century upper class people, it, you know, you can just visualize this girl in her like white dress sneaking out of the out of the parlor into the night and she's like drawn to the sea and, you know, walks into the sea and it, it's she starts to drown and it's the way it's like again i you know i i think i quoted the actual lyrics in the, in the, in the original recording which i've uh, it's been too long now and i don't remember them but there's something about like seaweed grabbing her ankles or something right mm -hmm. yeah and and it's like what if she's neptune's daughter as in what if she's going to get pulled under to the bottom of the sea and die it, but then she like gets pulled out of the water at the end and that, that's kind of just how it ends and like again i get that that's the one where I would say, should have killed her. That would have been a. I I think the song would have been better if she drowned because, what if she's Neptune's daughter? She it's this weird story of a girl, running out in the middle of the night because she just has to get to the sea. And I, I think it. I think that's one case where I am going to say, it shouldn't have been quite so safe as it was. That's fair. I just I, I and again I think he was more focused on luxuriating in this is gonna sound fucked up and i apologize but luxuriating in the concept of near death and just compulsion and it, it just becomes this 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 maelstrom of doing a thing because it feels like the thing you need to do and that having an immediate consequence and then you wrestling with the consequence of that before you were ultimately pulled free of it by someone else who realized that you were wrestling with your consequence. I don't know. It, it just, I could, I could, ex I could go on for a long time 
about everything in this album that just makes me feel and think a certain way. It just feels nice. It is a warm sweater of an album for me <laughs> on a cold, cold night. No, it, it absolutely is. So let's, let's go to a song that I think we agree on, which is Don't Look Down, which I think that, that is like one of the, uh, that's the rare song that I, I would say Don't Look Down is a perfect song. Like it there's nothing is. that you could add to or subtract from Don't Look Down that would improve it. I mean, uh, it was a song that was very instrumental in me, like finally siding with non-theism as a, a course in my life. Yeah, and it's such a good, like, it's it's so, so much better than the, like, Richard Dawkins kind of atheism, even, even before Richard Dawkins became, like, a shitty right-wing culture warrior transphobe yeah, it's like, on Twitter, like, but, like, it's, it's all about, I'm, I'm an atheist because I don't like the concept of guilt. <laughs> Which is really funny because that's like a thing that Christians say to atheists is like, oh, you just don't want to feel guilty for your actions. And and like in real life, it's kind of like, oh, no, I, I didn't already. Like, I didn't feel guilty. And that was the problem as opposed to, man, I feel so guilty and I wish I didn't. Yeah. But like, it, it's, you know, the, there's the line of, of um, I want to take my pleasures where and how I will, be they disgraceful or distasteful or distilled. It, which is just, oh, I love that line so yeah, much. Yeah, it, it's just some. It, it is it is the crystallization of this entire album. I really want to read that whole part of the song because I think it's really important. It's 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 kind of long, but because it's like half the song. <laughs> but but it's fine. It's it'll be a few. It will be maybe thirty <laughs> seconds. And without warning, and when we're almost at the top, the wheel that turns us all comes to a certain stop. The wind that's blown us dies a quick and painless death. The air gets clammy and we hold each other's breath. We get the feeling that we're not alone in this. That then a god that really ought not to exist hooks out his hand, his great big hand, and grabs me by the wrist and says... Ask me why, and I say, well, God, it's like this. It may be arrogance or just appalling taste, but I'd rather use my pain than let it all go to waste on some old God who tells me what I want to hear as if I cannot tell obedience from fear. I want to take my pleasures where and how I will, be they disgraceful, distasteful, or distilled. And to be frank, I find that life has more appeal when without a driver who's asleep behind the wheel. Like, that shit slaps yeah and that last line is a lot closer to like my road to atheism the the driver who's asleep behind the wheel i mean that's that's basically the problem of evil right there which is why i'm an atheist as mm -hmm. opposed to like because evolution is real which it is but that's not why i'm an atheist you know <laughs> like it, it, it's and that's why i say this is like the better kind of atheism because it's so much more human and and so much less like abstract theoretical stuff because you you don't become religious because of abstract theoretical stuff and you don't stop being religious because of abstract theoretical stuff. Yeah, and and I and I like religion in my case that embraces that abstract theoretical stuff. I I like religion that I mean for me the the line that you mentioned before uh, I'll take my pleasures when and how I will. Like, that testament to that is, like, I want to experience life. I want to luxuriate in the majesty of existence. Even if it's disgusting or disgraceful, I want to fuck up. I want to live. I want to see. Yeah, and you have to, because if you don't do those things for yourself, you don't actually... Even if you are religious... 
if you don't do those things, like your what does your religion actually amount to? Like, and the fastest way for someone to lose their religion, I'm reading a book right now called uh, "Don't Sleep, There Are Snakes," and it's about a, a Christian missionary who went to a tribe in Brazil to convert them to Christianity and also learn their language. And the more he started learning their language, he lost his faith in God because he saw uninhibited human existence and went, I want that. Turns out it's real hard to uh, experience completely alien cultures to your own without and and come out of it and just be like, well, I'm unchanged. Yeah, and if you are, you're a fucking problem. <laughs> you're a problem person. But yeah, uh, this album is beautiful. And yeah, and and I want to mention when the lights go out all Europe, uh, all over Europe, because it's my favorite song on the album. It's my favorite Divine Comedy song. It's it's just one of the most beautiful songs ever written. Um, it it heavily references French New Wave cinema and uh, uh, Jean Luc Goddard. It, the, the, there's the line about I about my goal is to become immortal than to die is is a quote from John Luc, John Luc Goddard that he says in one of his movies where he essentially plays himself. Um, and it just the again that that song to me is on when I first encountered this album, that was the one that to me most drove home, like what this album is because the strings, the string arrangements on that song are just so perfect for the, for the song. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, they're nothing like hugely complex or anything, but they're just so they evoke that like transition into, into night, but also into the darkness of a movie theater which I think the song is kind of getting at both of those things um, since it is a song about going to the movies, but, but it's, it's, a, you know, I, the other songs I say, like it's a song about taking a bath or it's a song about eating seafood. And like, I kind of mean to be that reductive about it. This one is like, it's a song about going to the movies, but like, not really, but yeah, yeah that is the text of the song. Yes. But no, it like the, the, every single song of this album captures a sense of being or a place in time and i just really appreciate that and really to i i i would go into a deeper thing about a drinking song but i feel it, it's been summed up with the other things that i've said here one of my absolute favorite divine comedy songs is tonight we fly it, the, yeah it, it's and it, i, I want to read my one line of notes on that one which was very smart frivolity yeah and i think that holds but god i love that song too yeah it's just it's just this madcap concept of flying over everyone observing the world and just ex and just living and experiencing the feeling of just flying and seeing and i got a very like uh i don't know peter pan vibe from that it was very yeah. much like windy and peter flying over london i can definitely see that which is totally fine. That that whole concept slaps. Uh, but yeah, I it's just that song feels so good, and the arrangement is just so peppy, but so soothing in a way. It it just gets you really pumped up, and then sort of brings you into a coasting position. Yeah, and it, this whole album makes me sad that like for the for most of its existence, chamber pop meant like depressing, like flaccid bell and sebastian songs and not this yeah. and it, and it's why like i was excited by vampire weekend at first too because it's like oh you made this shit fun again like the divine comedy 
They did for an album. Yeah. Part of that album. Yeah. But the parts of that album where they were full-on chamber poppy like this were fucking great. I just, I'm just thinking about Momas covering one of their songs of making Salty Hot Peanuts. Salty Hot Peanuts. That's, that was actually a song off Contra, but not, not off the first album, but... I, yeah, I was just... It just was adjacent to me thinking about Vampire Weekend. Yeah. And Momus, which is a it's constant thought on this con- podcast. Yeah, we cannot do this podcast without without the Momus reference of the week. But yeah, this this album is just my happy place. It's a place I go when I need to just zone out, or I need to feel better, or I want to get really deep in some thoughts. It's this beautiful standout piece and i read what i did from the liner notes earlier because i think he understands that too absolutely yeah he just he won't do it again and uh one thing we didn't mention is that uh the end of the book lovers ends with a poem by john Crichton, who was the first poet laureate of england in the 17th century yeah actually just so nobody adds us it's, it's the chorus of the song it's not the not the ending Oh yeah, sorry, there is also an unlisted ending track to the album that is the rest of this song. Yeah. Uh, the outro. Uh, but it's called Happy the Man. And it's like, happy the man and happy he alone, he who can call today his own. He who, secure within, can say, tomorrow do thy worst, for I have lived today. I love that poem, it's a little bit longer, uh, but it's pretty much just... My, my favorite is like... Uh, the, the final line the final lines like not heaven itself upon the past has power but what has been has been and i have had my hour i just love it it's so good it's <laughs> mm, it's just this is when poetry just makes your brain feel happy <laughs> well okay so this is the really hard part of of re-recording this episode is like having to pretend we haven't already ranked this yeah so i think probably the best thing to do is just say uh, we ranked this number one. We did. Um, I I would have ranked it at number two. I, I I think that Nonsuch is like a very slightly better album than this, just because it has more musical variety. Like literally, that's the only that's the only like knock I have against Promenade is it is like it is pretty chamber pop from start to finish. There's nothing wrong with Chamber Pop. A drinking song lesser... is like the farthest it strays from that. And it, okay, and but you're still... saying that like Chamber Pop in itself is like lesser than anything on Nonsuch. No, I'm saying pretty is. I'm saying only being pretty. Like Nonsuch has weird jazz chords and like weird dissonance in some songs. And in... I, I think that that gave it a, a slight edge in my mind over Promenade. I have zero issue with Promenade being number one because that is a very niggling doubt. I genuinely think these albums are tied uh, because they are both genuinely the best albums either group has put out. Uh, yes, I 100% agree with that. And they are tied and for the the dazzlement of newness we have put <laughs> Promenade above Nonsuch, but... Well, actually, what it was, as I said, I'm not going to fight this battle because you're so passionate about this. I think that outweighs my sort of more intellectual like oh well there are more weird chords and dissonant notes on nonsuch and so that gives a very slight edge for me like that that doesn't stand up in the face of you wanting to like 
passionately read the lyrics of the album. I just, I, I this album is very good. Because I don't have that kind of passion about Nonsuch. It's not my, I love Nonsuch to death. I, I think it's a brilliant album, but also it like, I don't feel it the way that you feel Promenade. But I, but the thing is, I feel them both very similarly. I, 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 I resonate with many lyrics in, in Nonsuch. I just think it's time. And I, and I genuinely think that these albums are tied, uh, but we can't have ties. Yeah. So the newer album goes on top. Like that just became, that just became the thing. Uh, that that was where my brain was coming at it. I just I feel that like there's no other place I can put this. There are albums that will definitely be better than this, but for now, I am going to up going to hail Neil Hannon's Little Promenade. I don't know how many albums there are gonna be that are better than this. It's it's, you know. I, I can think of one I would definitely put above it, and we all know what that is. Yeah. I, I know one that I would put above it because it's my favorite album of all time, but in the context of the show, I don't know how hard I would fight for that. But um, yeah, those are all those are all things to discuss when those albums come up. And for now, we'll just say, because we talked about this album a really long time, um, that Promenade is the new number one, and we're both good with that. All right, so we're going to take a quick break and come back and talk about Big Audio Dynamite 2. All right, we are back. And uh, back into recording for the second time. Boy, this one's going to be tough. Uh, <laughs> I, this one's mine to talk about. And man, have I forgotten most of the uh, knowledge I prepared for myself for <laughs> this album. Anyway, this is uh, from 1991, the first album by Big Audio Dynamite 2, but not the first album by Big Audio Dynamite, The Globe. And this was the first CD that I ever owned. Ugh. I got a CD player for Christmas the year this album came out, and this was the album I asked for because I loved Rush so, so much. And I still love Rush. I still think Rush is a great song. Um, some background on this is that Big Audio Dynamite was Mick Jones's post-Clash band. So he was fired from the Clash in, in 1983, and he briefly formed another group called Top Risk Action Committee, or TRAC. And, but that one broke up really quickly. I don't think they even like really recorded anything. And then he formed Big Audio, Big Audio Dynamite. And so Big Audio Dynamite's first album is really fun. Uh, I definitely recommend listening to it. It's It has some of the issue that we've talked about in other albums on this list which is like i just got a sampler for the first time and i'm gonna overuse it <laughs> it just like every song is just fucking filled with samples just from movies and i mean just random snippets of dialogue and stuff but it's it's fun it kind of sounds weirdly like nxs but a little more artsy um so that's a really enjoyable one. And then after that, they fall off a cliff and just become the most boring white boy reggae you've ever heard in your life. And I tried to listen to every Big Audio Dynamite album 
in the lead up to this episode and I could not do it because I was getting so fucking bored with all I would listen until it just became shitty white reggae and then I would stop listening <laughs> because I can't with that. Yeah. And so they they kind of so the original lineup of the group disbanded in 1990 um, after putting out their best titled album ever, Mega Top Phoenix. Um, which sadly is more boring reggae. Um, and then Mick Jones basically just restarted the band with new members and called it Big Audio Dynamite too. And this is far and away their best album. It, it hit right at the time that like rave culture was becoming a thing in England. And it was just Mick Jones being like, what if I combined the clash and rave and a rave? What if I, uh, I'm a, okay, correction here. What if I combine that, the melody of that one Clash song that you know me from? Because <laughs> Which would be Should I Stay or Should I Go? It is in every fucking song. Well, he literally samples it. <laughs> I know, it, but but the melody is in every fucking song. And it's just like, that's, that's point the first that drives me nuts about this album. Point the second that drives me nuts about this album is that I would rather be listening to Pulp. Hey, well, Pulp in 1990 didn't sound like this. No, but it sounded better than this. I don't know. It, there's just some very much like Jarvis Cocker gets this aspect of being this person correct. In Wait, was Separations in 1990? I can't remember. I uh, where's Separations? It was 92. So Pulp was still like doing like Freaks at this point. I like Freaks better than this album. I like. No, Freaks. you don't. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I like I, this I, album better than Freaks. I do not like this album very much because it all sounds the fucking same. Uh, oh, I don't. I don't. Think I don't. That at I all. don't. I think his voice is too high in the mix. I think everything sounds like a Casio keyboard. Yeah. Hell and, yeah, it does. But it just it doesn't. It's not fun. It's not a fun Casio keyboard. It's uh, like, and that's where I disagree with you. I think this album's so much fun. This album is not good. It is not good in any way. <laughs> And it's so fun and playful and like where's the fun the globe is fun rush is fun kool-aid is fun green grass is fun i mean i like green grass and i also like the basically the the revisiting of all the songs on the album in the tea party yeah um the only song i don't really like on this album is um innocent child yeah, Innocent Child fucking sucks, and it's weird. I mean, obviously, he's coming from a place of, like, I wish I knew you when you were carefree and young, but the lyrics, I wish I knew you when you were an innocent child, just sounds a it, bit odd. It doesn't in play century. in 2021. Yeah. It's, I, I don't think that Mick Jones was saying, I would much rather have dated you when you were 10. No, but you but, just, it's, it's one of those things where if that was written in 2020, in 2021... Someone would go, Mick, I want you to say those words out loud. <laughs> yeah, it, it, Innocent Child, this is all I'm going to say about it. It sounds so much like a, like a Guns N' Roses acoustic ballad or something. Yeah. It just, it doesn't fit on this album at all. I, I don't understand why it's here. Uh, everything on this album either sounds the same or sounds worse than that. And it is, it, I just. I, I We're just... worse than the same. <laughs> yes. So. If you've never heard Rush, it's like the, the in America, Rush was the big single off this album. That was how I knew them. I never heard anything else by Big Audio Dynamite 2 on the radio in the U.S. 
For um, good reason. No. Let me have this, damn it. I love this album. Um, it, so what Rush has on the album version that was not in the version that you would hear on the radio is the whole middle section with, like, Mick Jones singing at a sample of Peter Sellers, like, where it's set up that he's, like, critiquing Mick Jones' singing sarcastically, um, which is, like, funny the first time you, like, the first time you hear that, it's it's good. And then you have to hear it every time you listen to the song, and it's, like... Maybe maybe the single version with that all cut out is a lot better. Um, but that song has such big, which is weird because it's so long after he left the Clash. But Rush just sounds so much like it's about getting fired from the Clash. Yeah, it really does. Situation, no win. Rush for a change of atmosphere. Um, I mean, that, that song isn't bad, but like seriously, it it is the only song. I I, I don't mind Green Grass. But Do you, what, what's your problem with the globe? Because that was like the other big single off of this. I don't. Get, I can't fucking decipher it from anything else on the album. That's why I don't. <laughs> I, I'm not particularly picking up on the globe. I listened to this album twice before coming into this room, and I have have zero memory of ever having listened to the globe. You should be able to remember the globe because it's the one that has a guy that sounds like the wrestler Raven rapping in it. Oh yeah, I remember that. That's why. <laughs> It's a good, good job point making my case for me by describing the song as it occurs. <laughs> but if that, how does that not sell you on a song? <laughs> Have you met me? <laughs> yes, and you like wrestling. <laughs> Did I like Raven, though? It, it, are you going to sit here and tell me that you don't like Raven? I mean... No, you're not. Bullshit. <laughs> um... Yeah, so so the globe is the one that's built on the sample of should I stay or should I go. Right, that's why I was... Oh and it's that weird, like, snapshot of a time when global warming wasn't terrifying to all of us. Like, it was, it was an abstract terror for most people. Because there are, like, references to, like, global warming, we're all gonna die, so we better go rave now. It, like, it, like, it's... Many rave references in this album. Yeah, because he was super into rave culture. Like, it, it's... And so the other thing I like about this album is there's very little Acid House on it. I, I like Acid House, but, like, for a British electronic album at this time, a kind of, like, let's be honest, a kind of dilettante-ish, you know, electronic album, like, a rock star who kind of started going to raves and thought, I, I could make music like this, but combine it with my guitars like you would think it would be all tb303 and it like it's yeah. not that at all like i don't think there's any like tb303 filter twisting on this album <laughs> it, not that i can not that i can remember maybe and can't wait but i don't think so and, like, I really admire him for not just seizing on, like, the most obvious element of British techno music at the time and, and making a whole album out of it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's that's a point in its favor, in my opinion. I think Can't Wait is really cool because it's supposedly live, but, like, it's super not. Like, it, it sounds like they took a live version of the song and a studio version of the song and mixed them together, and they picked the parts... They picked out the live parts that would sound the weirdest and use those. Mm -hmm. 
and that just really appeals to me. Like, I love the middle section where they play the uh, the Henry the Sixth sample, and you can hear like Mick talking to someone in the background on stage, like while the sample is playing. Like that's that's that kind of shit just does it for me so fucking hard. <laughs> like, um. Yeah, uh, I don't know is like creepy and and driving. I think there's a. I think I think you're not giving this album credit for how different a lot of it sounds. I because I don't hear the difference. Like, it, I mean, it's it's not completely objectionable, but like, there's nothing that is sticking out in my brain about this album, and it, it's and I think that's probably to the legacy of Big Audio Dynamite. Like, if you were in a time and place where those songs that don't do stand out hit you at the right time, great, they stick out for you. But me coming to this, not having really had that experience at the time when the songs were new, for me, it is very forgettable. And, like, that is a, that is a problem that I'm having with it. It's like, it just sounds forgettable to me. Yeah, and it's... it's it definitely... I mean, it, it might just be when it hit me that I had, I had not heard... Um, wait, had I heard techno music? It, it was close. I might have actually heard real techno music by the time I heard this. I was, you know, a kid when this came out, but, and by a kid, I mean like 12, but, um, I, I definitely heard techno music like pretty close to this because like a skater kid I knew at school had a couple of like just straight up techno CDs <laughs> that, that I listened to and, and like got my mind blown open. Um, but this, I'm pretty sure this would have been my first exposure to like anything approximating techno music, and so it it, it was definitely extremely memorable for me for that reason. And and that's completely okay. I'm I'm just being honest with my with how this album hit me, and it, it just feels relegated to the annals of history. In yeah, I mean, for me. it's. I, I doubt that this album directly influenced many people. I think that there was definitely a revival of this kind of thing around, like, 2005-ish. Mm-hmm. Definitely was. Like, rock bands that started... Uh, and, like, after Electro Clash... I, I don't count Electro Clash as the same thing because it was so dour and, like, not very fun. But, like, there were bands that kind of tried to make it fun like after that and i think that was probably more of a reaction to electro clash of like what if we combined guitar and keyboards but it wasn't so dark and mopey and and i don't think that like big audio dynamite 2 had much if anything to do with that but those bands they should have gone back and listened to this because i think it's i think it's fun early 90s psychedelica with techno elements and clash elements and i like mick jones voice i can't help it i i super don't it's it, mick jones voice is a warm blanket to me <laughs> and the thing is and i like very accented voices in music like i just do he's not a good singer no but in a way that makes me very happy it's it's that's why when i said i wanted to just listen to pulp it's like they don't have the same accent but they have a similar like heaviness in their vocals and i go exactly where jarvis cocker's from I'm down with it. It has lasted into the 21st century for me. This, I like the clash, but I never was motivated to see what they did after, you know? And that that's kind of 
my view on this album. Well, if you want the Nightmare World version of Big Audio Dynamite, listen to the Clash album Cut the Crap, because, my god... It's, I mean, it's, it's definitely like one of those albums that the band like tried to bury and uh, you have to hear it if you haven't. <laughs> it's, it, it's like this if the people making it didn't know how to use any of the samplers or drum machines. <laughs> I have no desire to put that in my, in my ears. Uh, yeah. So check, check that out if you're not Hadrian. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I don't think there's like a whole lot else to say about this. Green Grass is a cool psychedelic rock song. It's yeah, that, like one of fine. the least techno-y songs on the album. I would it, venture to say it's my favorite song on the album. Yeah, it's very good. Um, I'm sorry that it did not resonate with this album more positively. No, it, I mean, that's why we do the show, because, you know, we... I, I like hearing a different perspective on stuff that I like, even if that perspective is I don't like it. Yeah, and again, I don't, I don't, I'm not faulting you in any way for ever having liked this album or still liking this album. It, it's more just like me not having the same foundational experience with it. It does not hit the same way, and that's okay. That is totally fine. We had the same experience when I was talking about that Rammstein album. So yeah, or the Tiger Lilies. <laughs> <sighs> um. So the the one other like piece of kind of trivia about this is that. The Globe is, like, the second release of this album, sort of. So there was a UK-only earlier version of the album, but they came out in the same year. And the British version was called Kool-Aid, and it's almost the same album, except it doesn't have The Globe on it, which automatically, like, what the fuck? And I don't remember which other songs aren't on it, but it's, it's missing several of a couple of the best songs from this album and like replaces them with worse songs <laughs> so we are gonna just go ahead and rank both of them and we already have ranked both of them um i just wanted to throw that out like there's no reason to separately rank kool-aid because for the most part it's the exact same versions of the songs i, I think there's like one of the songs that i like kool-aid maybe is like slightly different on <laughs> the album where it's the title track but it's not worth doing a, a devoting another episode to basically the exact same album um so like with promenade we already ranked these uh, when we recorded the episode the first time so we're just gonna go ahead and throw that out um we we ranked the globe at 42 which put it between pablo honey uh and just above leisure by blur and we ranked Kool-Aid at 49, which put it between No Depression by Uncle Tupelo and above um, The Muffs by The Muffs. Which, looking back, I don't know, that may be too high for Kool-Aid. <laughs> um, yeah, I, you know what? You want to you wanna bump Kool-Aid down to, like, 52? I'm fine with that. Yeah, because I'm, I'm looking at that and I'm like, why the hell did we put that above The Muffs? Like, that was a mistake. I mean, I let you put that wherever you wanted. So. Yeah, no, I know. I don't know why I was thinking that. But okay, yeah, let's not Kool-Aid down a couple of slots and we'll do something new with this episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so Kool-Aid is going to drop down to 52, which will put it between Cobra and Phase's group Play Voltage in the Milky Night by Stereolab. And uh, isn't... Oh, no, never mind. L uh, Lotra by Malene Farmer. Um Actually, you know what? Let's put Kool-Aid below that, too. Let's put it at 53. Oh, that's fine. I think I think that Marlene Farmer album is better on it. Honestly. Yeah, I think so, too. Uh, thinking back now. 
Okay. I, I actually think that Marlene Farmer album's a little low, but... Uh, yeah, I think it's a little adult contempo for for being any higher than it is on, a, on an alternative music podcast, but... She counts because it was just so very much about her depression. <laughs> Adult contemporary doesn't usually get that in depth. All right, and that puts us at 90 albums ranked now. Um, so let's go ahead and take a look back at the top 10 that we have now. Um, number 10 is Slanted and Enchanted by Pavement. Number 9, Superstition by Susie and the Banshees. Number eight, Spooky by Lush. Number seven, Vary by the Pet Shop Boys. Number six is The Philosophy of Momus by Momus. Number five is 69 Love Songs by The Magnetic Fields. Number four is Liberation by The Divine Comedy. Number three is Get Lost by The Magnetic Fields. Number two is Nonsuch by XTC. And at number one, we have Promenade by The Divine Comedy. Damn right we do. If you want to see everything that we've ranked, you can go to bit.ly slash nr1990s, that's bit.ly slash nr1990s. And if you want to listen to every episode of the show, you can subscribe, we like that the most. And you can do that anywhere podcasts are sold, or not sold as the case may be. Or you can go on Spotify and search for nr1990s, where you can hear every episode of the show. And you can also listen to every album that we have ever ranked. Although I'm setting up a Plex server so we can rate stuff that I own that is not on Spotify. <laughs> so soon I will not be able to say that you can listen to every album we've ever ranked. Um, but for now, you can still hear every album we've ever ranked on Spotify. Um, all right, so what are you going to add next week to our growing list, Hadrian? Uh, that fine Australian band, The Church. Uh, with the album Gold Afternoon Fix, which is not about heroin, despite what you may know about the church. Do you want me to repeat the offensive joke I made about Australians? Sure, if you want to. <laughs> no, I just, I didn't, <laughs> when we recorded the first time, I didn't actually realize the church were Australian, and I was like, oh, that's why they're such assholes. <laughs> um, I haven't had the best experience with Australians in my life. Two of my best friends in the world are Australians. I'm sure that those Australians are good people. I went to school in Japan, and there were a bunch of Australian students at my school, and most of them were real shitty. I mean, no matter where you're from, everyone has the same capacity for being an asshole. That's just the human condition. No, it was just a high concentration, because it was either super rich like frat boy australia I, I actually i said last time we recorded i said a rich bogan which i know <laughs> is like a contradiction in terms but that was my my first roommate when i got to japan was this guy who literally the first thing he did when he got off a plane was buy a super expensive motorcycle to be his his vehicle while he was in japan so my album for next week is going to be one i've been Waiting to do for a long time, which was, it just never quite seemed to be the right time to do it, but I think now is, which is Reading, Writing, and Arithmetic by the Sundays. Okay, some classic dream pop. Oh, man, it's been so long since we recorded, I don't remember how we end the show. Listen to those albums, get ready, we're going to start recording more regularly again, because I'm going to drag Hadrian out of his office and be like, you have to come in here and record. If the Lord's willing and the creek don't rise, sure I'll be here. 
you're a rich Bogan. <laughs> All right. Well, so do your homework. Listen to the Sundays in the church. Goodbye.